Hello, I'm Mary Beth Kingston, the Chief Nursing Officer for Advocate Health, and your host for this Outcomes Rocket series, which is focused on awareness and solutions for workplace violence, and in this case, specifically in healthcare. On prior sessions, we've highlighted the need to focus on prevention efforts, and, and that is just the most important thing. But today we'll discuss issues that arise when workplace violence does unfortunately occur. And that focuses on supporting our healthcare team. And so I'm just delighted today to welcome my colleague, Dr. Mila Felder. Dr. Felder trained at the Chicago Medical School and completed her residency at Advocate Christ, where she's practiced emergency medicine for over 20 years. So she is well acquainted with workplace violence. She's been instrumental in shaping and expanding numerous well-being programs for healthcare professionals, including Advocate Health's Well-Being Council and a really neat program, uh, which has been so helpful to so many. It's called Together as One Peer-to-Peer Support. And there's many more things that Dr. Felder certainly has been engaged in the well-being space. She's a nationally recognized well-being speaker and a published author and currently serves as the Vice President of Well-Being leading transformative initiatives for all advocate healthcare teammates. Her central focus is enhancing workplace safety to enrich the teammate experience at Advocate Health. And Mila, I wanna thank you for being here today. As I mentioned, despite our best efforts, workplace violence, regardless of whether it's physical, verbal, harassment, bullying, has a tremendous effect on those involved. So the first thing I wanted to ask you to speak about in past sessions and series in this series, we've discussed the importance of trauma-informed care for patients. So in terms of violence prevention, how do we meet the patient where they're at? In your experience, in the emergency department or in your work related to well-being, what is the value and how does it apply? How does this concept of trauma-informed care and communication relate to and apply to those providing care who have experienced violence in the workplace? I think that's really a key question as we start supporting those that have been impacted. Understanding that their previous background, each of us, our human background of trauma impact, feeds into our experience as we encounter new experience, allows frequently to prevent the workplace violence or trauma related to it from even happening. When we talk about de-escalation, that's a couple of steps into it, but there are ways to prevent it if we are aware by that person's experience. So when we talk about trauma-informed language or trauma-informed communication, it's being able to be sensitive, respectful, and actually supportive of that other person before we start talking about the trauma and how the trauma affects this new encounter. Just being able to understand that, I think, goes a long way. And of course, as we move into after the incident occurs, supporting someone who has encountered trauma in the workplace, being able to understand that how they feel, where they are in that space of their own, is really important to how we support them moving forward, not just our vision of it, is essential to understanding impact. Typically, if there's been physical violence, everybody gets that. But when someone's been harassed, and it might be repeated harassment, or someone is really being derogatory towards them. We, I think sometimes it's not quite taken as seriously as the physical violence is. So I do think that fact of 
understanding how this has impacted a person. So you don't, we don't even know what their past history is. Understanding that it could have been that they've had some type of trauma in their past. And this has, this is kind of aligned with that in a way that we don't understand. So I do think that this idea of, of focusing on trauma-informed care as we support those that work in healthcare is as important as it is as it applies to the patients that we care for. So thank you for that. So Mila, do you have practical advice for programs, actions, initiatives for how we can best support people? In my experience, over years of working, I have some ED and emergency department experience as well. I think we initially respond and then maybe aren't sure of what to do down the road. And I'm just saying that generally across the country. But, but what do you have to offer to us in terms of some practical advice for how we can support people who have experienced workplace violence? Hey, Beth, I wish there was one answer for everybody will benefit from Amy. But I think that honestly, everybody will benefit from understanding that our life experience is different. And the menu of options should reflect those needs. Because for some people, it's going to be mission of spiritual care or employee assistance program or a variety of other options, such as peer-to-peer program you mentioned. That personally is my favorite. But I think that including trauma-informed care, education, very basic means of communicating trauma-informed support. And with that offering menu in a way that's non-invasive of, I understand this can be very, very difficult and I want to be here for you in a way that's right for you. In the meantime, these are the resources available. I think offers the most opportunity for the person receiving either support or having just been on the other side of trauma allows them to feel empowered to either receive it on their terms or defer it and say, I will come back to it. So I think first and foremost is our ability to integrate trauma-informed communication. So that at the point of impact, one does not feel like they're being debriefed because that could be traumatical by itself. Instead, they feel like we're here to understand them and to support them in the way they need it. While in the meantime, the best thing we could do organizationally is infuse that very basic trauma-informed communication education from the leaders to the front line so that people entering organization understand it's our priority and the leaders understand how to start that conversation without re-traumatizing someone. There's about three questions that I'd like to follow up. Do you think that our listeners would be very interested in hearing just a little bit of snapshot about the peer-to-peer program since we've mentioned it? Could you provide us with that? My gosh, could you ask me a more favorite question? I don't know. <laughs> so as part of peer-to-peer program that Dr. Kim Miller and uh, Dr. Vicky Smolder helped me build, over the last few years, we took the very foundations of trauma-informed care and infused them into the initial foundational training. The training varies because we try to make it more specific to groups of people, but there is general training that's available to anyone who's interested, and it could be either virtual or in person. The training offers the foundations of how do you approach someone? What does distress look like? Are you maybe someone that's experienced trauma? asking us to reflect upon ourselves. When we rolled it out in 2020, in the midst of COVID, our first group was 35 people actually at Christ Hospital, which was in the midst of 275 inpatient COVID patients. 
and the most ECMO COVID patient we had. So these were pretty impacted caregivers. And so when we initially thought of creating a peer-to-peer program, we shifted very rapidly to saying, hey, let's look at you receiving this help for you. We want to offer you a resource as a caregiver. Let's make sure that you are able to be self-aware of where you are on the continuum of stress and offer the resources. So that was the second part. We gave them education about what trauma may look like on impact and reflection on themselves. Then we said, hey, these are the resources advocate offers that are available to you, like Mission Spiritual Care called Lavender, EAP, and others. And three, if you are witnessing something like this, how are you best able to be an active supporter and feel that you're able to offer something without being invasive? Now that you understand that feeling in that pain may not be very consistent with someone saying, yes, please help me. I want all of it. I want all of this help. And when we started that with 30 people, we started very rapidly shifting from we're going to go at 30% of all the teammates to let impact one person at a time until we build an army of people understanding a little bit the foundations of trauma and poor care. And from then, asking the leaders to take the training. So between 2020 and now, we have trained the chief nursing officers in the Midwest, chief medical officers in the Midwest, saying that if our leaders speak this language and understand the impact, we do both. We elevate the importance of workplace violence and make that first touch for the wraparound services for our teammates a lot more supportive, potentially causing in better long-term outcome. EAP is Employee Assistance Programs, in case our listeners on most healthcare organizations have some type of employee assistance program for a variety of issues. The feedback I've had from folks that have gone through the peer-to-peer training has been, it's been so helpful for them. But the idea of it is, yes, it's helpful for the person going through the training, but that then they are embedded in the workplace and they can identify when someone seems to be struggling and then be able to refer them to the appropriate resources that might be able to help them. So I think that's great. Because my next question is, what do you do when someone, and this happens all the time, when you know someone's had a a really negative experience involving workplace violence and you're meeting with them and talking to them and they say, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. I don't need anything. How do you approach that? This morning in our Together as One time that we use for discussion of what people have encountered, that question came up actually. And when we talked about it, the group agreed that it's really important to allow the person saying, I'm fine, to come back to you on the terms that are comfortable for them, leaving them with, I'm here for you. This is how you could contact me. I'm happy to check in with you in a week or a month or whatever that space may be of time. But here's my phone number. I'd like to be available. If there is a different way that we could communicate, let us know. And these are the other resources. Leaving them in control of the situation is really, really important. Because our role here is not to fix it. It's to allow them to receive whatever it is that they need on their terms so that they are empowered. Well, that's great because I like to fix things. And I would say, I don't think your response is so much better. Oh, I really, really appreciate that. And then the other follow-up question I have is you mentioned debriefing. 
And I know, especially years ago, when I would be involved in different situations, it was an absolute that every incident you had to have debriefing. And now I'm seeing and hearing in the literature that maybe this isn't always appropriate in every situation or how we do it is really important. Could you mention or just talk a little bit about debriefing after an incident occurs, whether it's with a group or an individual? What you're referring to, I think, is critical incident stress debriefing, which was really, really high demand in 2000 until later on we found out that depending on how it's done and what's the goal, it actually could re-traumatize someone causing PTSD. And some of the literature that evolved since then recommends being very mindful and cautious of psychological stress debriefing. What I have to offer on that is, again, offering the person that's been impacted by trauma control of the situation and giving them space to say, how do you feel? How intense is that feeling? What has helped you in the past with this? How can I be here for you? What do you think is the best outcome of our conversation? And how can I best follow up with you? Offers the space that while supportive, leaves them in control of the situation. Different from stress debriefing, where step-by-step we break down the problem event that happened and come back with solution. Now we're saying, hey, maybe we're not ready for the solution. Maybe the best we could do today is offer support and the resources and let the person occupy the driver's seat because they are the ones impacted and all we want to do is be there for them. This this idea of allowing the impacted individual to be in control is really important in a number of areas. I think that's very wise, wise advice. So how would you describe the individual impact or the organizational impact of workplace violence? We know that there's much more discussion about it now. What happens as a result of events that happen that really are classified as violent? I think it's really hard to separate individual from organizational because as you look at some of the stories that we hear from our frontline impacted nurses and teammates, what we see as an image that persists throughout is that they try to come back as an individual. They feel that they just need to be able to roll with it because everybody else has talked about being strong. And as care provider to others, they feel they need to be able to move on. Yet this trauma persists unless it's addressed. And then they notice that it persists in their families. As they come to the workplace, those that witnessed it and are also impacted may want to also feel like they need to be there to support someone else without acknowledging that. And ultimately, organizational impact goes from time and impact on that human that was impacted by the workplace violence to the team that surrounds them that now may feel loss of support or loss of safety in the workplace. And with that human impact that I think is the most important, the financial impact as people... take time off war, comes organizational impact because there is respect for how we as an organization support people who are hurt by workplace violence. And ultimately, impact on reputation of the organization. If we don't take action, if we don't shed the light on how really important workplace violence impact is and how important it is to act as one in supporting the individual and staying no to the workplace violence. Yeah, you know, that they are just great points. And we've talked about a little bit in um, prior sessions about 
the turnover that actually causes people to leave the workplace and the impact on patient safety. Because again, this is all about the environment that we work in being safe for everyone. One last question I wanted to ask you, it's a little bit personal, but you've been focused on well-being way before other folks were talking about. So I know it became a a huge issue during the pandemic where we, I think we've always known that the well-being of the workforce is super important. And and it should be obvious that if you have a workforce that is struggling, it's going to impact how we provide care. But that And that was highlighted during COVID, really focusing on the need to support those providing care. But you, years before, were working in the well-being space. And I know a lot of your work was involved with physician, but also expanded into other areas. What spurred you personally as a physician and as a care provider to jump into this work? I think that a number of things in our lives cause experience that's the ultimate go-to. And so there were a number of personal experiences with my family and illness, professional experiences with training during medical school, pre-professional experience when we first came to the country and during my first job, I looked at people around me and how the impact on them caused change to the interactions we had. And ultimately, working at Christ, being a resident at Christ, I realized that caregivers so frequently, and those that are not caregivers, just humans, so frequently just want to wall off the experience that's negative and move forward for getting it, feeling like they are stronger for that, ultimately only ending up with a secondary impact that arrives just when they need that strength. But now they've shed so many corners because those corners are walled off effectively. And so as I started working with residents, and nurses. And during pre-COVID years, our teammates who became my hallway friends and conversations, I realized it was giving me strength during my difficult time to talk about some of these challenges because all of a sudden you're not alone. And I think that it's so easy, especially in healthcare, to do the othering where we do this for doctors and we do that for nurses and we do that for our environmental support services. But ultimately, the human experience can only be that human experience. And as you expand the lens to see the broader picture, just kind of like that beautiful Cleveland Clinic video, as you walk through the hallways, everybody has their story. It allowed me to make a story that I really care about, an impactful story for others. And so that's, I think, less of a direct way, the answer to coming from a clinician to a leader of well-being work, took on many different lens. Personal experience with healthcare for my family, my parents, my kids. Professional experience yearning and looking at others who look at trauma and deal with it differently and then seeing how they are impacted long-term and taking from that piece by piece the solutions to organizational well-being and the experience as a human I hope people walk away with when they face advocate. Well, thank you, Mila, for sharing your expertise and your experiences and for supporting those in healthcare who have experienced any type of stress, but particularly in this case, workplace violence. And I also want to thank those who joined us today as we continue to explore strategies to prevent workplace violence. And as we discussed today, support those who have experienced it. Our overall goal is to have a safe and respectful workplace for all. Thank you.
Thank you so much. <laughs>